0: I'm Stephen Campbell and this is Ear Crush, the Friday podcast for people who love listening to great stories. I am thrilled that we have Emily Beresford with us today. Emily is the voice of the Critharian Gambit series and as such the voice you listen to in chapter one of Tabitha's Vacation. Emily, welcome to Ear Crush.
1: Thank you for having me, Steve. This is very exciting for me.
0: All right, so we're going to break this up into two parts. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions in the beginning, then we're going to get right to the story for those people who just want to get to the story, and then we're going to chat a little bit at the end. Let's get right to the first question. For those who haven't yet listened to your versions of any of the first 18, soon-to-be-21 books in the Cartherian Gambit universe, in your mind, who is Tabitha, and how does she fit into the universe? Oh, Tabitha, she is so awesome. She's She's another...
1: Strong, amazing, badass female character that Michael writes, but she's real and real flawed and she's not afraid to step into and embrace her flawedness and she can laugh at herself, which is great. And I also loves that I love that she gives Barnabas lots, <laughs> lots of shit. I, I love I love her the Barnabas Tabitha uh, duo. There, uh, she works under Barnabas. Uh, she's a master hacker. She's the second ranger, ranger number two under Barnabas, and she's helping to keep the alien races in line. And she's also Kimasabe to the Tontos. So she's really a, a fantastic, fun character.
0: And she's a real favorite for a lot of Kerthirian Gambit readers and listeners. Where does she rank yes. because you've done we'll get into this at the end of the at the end of the story, but you've done a lot of voices and a lot of characters in this series. Where does Tabitha yes. rank on your favorites list?
1: Oh, she's is, she is one of the top top favorites. Just because she's so sassy, she's so raw and I just I love her personality that she anybody that can embrace their flaws Uh, And also be so confident in themselves. I just, I really love. So she's one of my top favorites, I'd say.
0: All right. We'll be back with Emily at the conclusion of Tabitha's Vacation by Michael Anderley.
1: Chapter Two So, back to Rossini's bar, Bechtel. It's the usual hive of scum and villainy. No, not really. Yes, really. Full of macho alpha types. Doesn't matter the gender, the type, or the sexual preference. Alphas gotta be alphas. They have a real itch to scratch when a new face comes into a place. I'm a new face. And I'm a human face. Most of this part of the galaxy are bipedal beings. Well, except the Quigerts, which I like to call q they're a reddish-orange with an undergrowth of brown. Nowhere as cute as the old video game from my world. They have this hair that goes up the top of their head like a plume. It holds significance, and damned if they aren't touchy as hell about it. So anytime one pisses me off, I slap it over. The little q are about four and a half feet tall, so their hair is eye-level and above for me. They are damned dense, so they believe they have the right of way because they are so heavy and hard to move for a lot of species. Their three legs can move them pretty fast. I'm only 4 foot 4 inches, but my nanite-enhanced body can kick the shit out of a cubert when I'm pissed, which is normally any time they get in my way and babble at me to leave their presence. I tell them once they land after I kick them— that I'm not in their immediate presence any longer. One time, I had a green cubert crawl back out of the trash can I had just kicked him into. He yelled at me to stand still, so I did. I waited patiently for him to pull off the rotten vegetables and drop them on the sidewalk outside the restaurant I had just left. He turned, lowered his head and his fancy hair, and started running towards me. He became a cubert kickball, two points for kicking him into the same can once more. Then stupid ass pulls himself out of the garbage and cleans himself yet again. I had plenty of time to decide whether to kick him or not and decided, this time, I was just dense. So he comes charging and I jumped over his ass. When I landed, I turned to watch him continue another ten feet and headbutt a permacrete wall. The crack could be heard down the alley. (laughs) I watched as he toppled over and lay prone on the ground. Permacrete one, hard-headed Qbert zero. I tell you this because while the bar was pretty empty when I got there, two drinks later a Qbert comes walking in with that alpha walk that says he is hot shit. I started looking around for a large enough trash can to use for my goal and found nothing. Acronics, message the owner of Rossini's bar and provide him a hundred credits. Put damages as the memo for the credit transfer. Yes, Tabitha. I waited and took a sip from my drink when a message came up. I turned on the viewer that displayed my messages directly to my eye. Huh, the owner of Rossini's was named Billet. Nice, I love names I can pronounce. It saves me and them a lot of heartache. Me, because I can pronounce them. Them, because I don't change it to something I can pronounce. There are a lot of alien species that get pretty pissy about name pronunciation. I try to tell them that I failed that class. True. And a human's vocal cords aren't really designed to handle some languages. Also true, but I have mods that allow me to deal with them all. I just choose not to. Remember, when you want to criticize me for my bad attitude that I've had 150 years of dealing with sucky situations in localities that are piss poor. I've done this while you were probably sitting on your couch eating those damned bonbons. So kiss my ass about being politically correct. Both cheeks. Hey, they are South American ass cheeks, so at least you got something to kiss, sweetheart. I read the owner's message back to me. Millet wanted to know why I was sending credits for messing up a bar that wasn't damaged at the moment. I replied that there was a Quigert in his place that was about to get the shit kicked out of him, and it was definitely going to mess up some of his furniture. So, unless he built the furniture pretty damned solid, it was going to break. He told me he was watching the security video. I turned and looked up over my right shoulder at the security camera and smiled. Then flipped it off. I have proper manners like that. Sure as shit, Qbert walks over. You are at my table, its great eye peering at me, slightly yellow. I was probably no more at his table than if I had chosen the next one over. Bullshit, I told him. The interesting thing about Qberts is they really don't have much bluff in them, and you can read their feelings on their face like pissed off and excited. Name, I asked it, another trait of Q-Berts is they usually will have a discussion with you before they kick your ass. They aren't stupid, but occasionally how thoroughly they consider a situation makes a lot of beings think them slow. Donay, he told me, you have until I beat you senseless to get out of that chair. Wow, Donald, not much on options, are you? I asked and stood up, pulling my coat away from my pistol. He looked down and noticed the gun. What? You would use something as barbaric as a pistol instead of your arms? He sneered at me. Hey, I'd say the same thing in his place. The pistol I use is rare, and most beings haven't seen one. Those that have usually don't forget them. However, many have heard descriptions, and there have been a ton of knockoffs. So many that everyone questions what's real anymore. Fucking barbarians. I answered him while stepping a little to the side and planting my left foot in a solid position. I'm going to give you exactly zero chances to be wise, and only one warning. My name is Tabitha, no last name. This is a Duke's Ranger special. While I could pull it and make your future a non-event, I've already paid the bar owner a hundred credits for the damage I'm about to cause. As Donald was working through everything I just told him, I put my hat down on the table and flipped off the camera again. I acted like I was scratching the back of my head. (laughs) I'm subtle that way. It became obvious Donald had arrived at the conclusion I meant to go toe-to-toe with him instead of shooting his ass. When his eye opened perceptibly, I lashed out with my size sevens and kicked his heavy ass through the table behind him to slam into the bar, knocking off four bottles of booze that crashed to the ground. That was going to suck to clean up. Not paying for the booze, I yelled over my shoulder and walked toward the busted table as Donald was trying to get himself standing again. I pulled my necklace out from under my shirt. Then I yanked my pistol and stuck the tip on his forehead beneath his hair and bent down to stare into his great eye. So, I kicked your ass across the floor, busted a table, four bottles of booze I'm not paying for, and I figure I probably have another 40 credits on my tab. Am I using that money to pay someone to drag your dead ass out of here, or am I using it to buy you and me a couple of drinks while you answer questions from a queen's ranger? At that point, he glanced at my chest, not because my tits impress him, although it is a nice rack, rather because my badge glittered on its chain hanging from my neck. It's a death sentence to have a fake ranger badge. You can try to scam people with fake ranger pistols, but our badges are fucking sacrosanct. The only time we come together as a group is when we hear about someone trying to fake being a ranger. We've been known to lay waste to places when that happens. Nobody pretends to be a queen's ranger and gets away with it. Number? He asked me, staring at the badge. Two, I supplied. If you know much about rangers, you know the importance of our number. My boss, Barnabas, is one. I followed him quickly into the group and became number two. Unfortunately, three was killed, and four and five are both in retirement. Six died of natural causes. Well, let's just say not duty-related causes. Sticking his personal fun stick in the wrong woman caused his girl to go all sorts of ballistic on him. Queen's Rangers might be pretty damned indestructible, But make an ass out of your woman and give her a fair amount of time and she will figure out your Achilles heel. And there goes your chance for a long life. So the next number still running and gunning is seven. I saw him last year passing through the Manoa space station. We had drinks and talked old times until the bar closed down. (sighs) Good times. I'll take the drink, Donald told me. I pulled the pistol back, holstered it, and offered him my hand to help him up. He took it, and I easily yanked him standing again. He looked me up and down. I'd heard you rangers were difficult. I didn't realize how strong you were, too, he admitted as the bar's people got to cleaning up the mess. We walked back over to the table I had used, and we both sat down. Just curious, which table do you usually use? I asked him to break the ice. He pointed to my chair. That chair? Well, shit, (laughs) I guess I was mistaken after all. Donald and I had another five drinks together, the good stuff, the strong stuff, the stuff that tastes like American Southern sweet tea to me and puts a cubert under the damned table. Alcohol, often used to lower the inhibitions for many species, doesn't affect me, which is a mixed blessing. Unfortunately, it doesn't affect a cubert either. Sugar, however, really messes them up. I have no idea what a donut would do to them. A cubert would probably have an orgasm right here on the floor. Hell, for a good donut, I'd have an orgasm too. Damn, now I need a donut. However, Donald was cognizant enough to spill the beans that the local pain in the ass was a therine named some shit I couldn't pronounce, so I named him Barney. Yeah, after the purple dinosaur. If you saw a therine, you would totally find his new name funny as hell. I paid to put Donald up in one of the cheap rooms to sleep off his stupor. I had 15 credits on my tab left after I renegotiated with Billet. He wanted me to pay for the bottles of broken booze. I emphatically replied I wasn't. Three shot-out security cameras later, he agreed with me. Achronyx, pull the data on Grid Delta 7 by Charlie 2 and show. I reviewed the image sent to my eye. Fucking castle he has there, I mumbled to myself. The bar was beginning to fill up, and most had heard the rumors about the fight earlier. I walked to the door and reviewed the outside drone cameras I had dropped just to make sure nothing unexpected was awaiting me. I pulled open the doors and stepped out into the late afternoon sun. It took me a couple of minutes to locate a runner who could take a message on a microcrystal. I paid the little twerp two credits and waited another 30 minutes while tracking the runner over to Barney's place. I pulled my hair into a small knot behind my head and put my hat back on. I sent to Chronix the order to get into place 10,000 meters up, above the clouds, and to prepare four one-pound pucks and two three-pound pucks. Back when the queen was dealing with earth issues, the team had developed gravitic engines which drove kinetic weapons. The little guys are devastatingly powerful and small. Barney's stone walls wouldn't help him much. Now, if he had some high-powered shields, I'd be in a tighter spot. Perhaps. Maybe. I've been known to pummel the ground near the shields to see if I can upset the foundations. It does tend to piss off anyone nearby. Fortunately for me, Barney didn't have anyone near him. Most pricks concerned with their security liked a lot of open space around them. Killing fields. Time to issue the ultimatum. I sent commands to all but two of my drone cameras to look around his place as much as possible to give me the layout. I had the other two helping me. One looking behind me and the other in front of me. I've had enough situations where I got surprised and been hurt to worry about shit like that. You grow an arm back, you learn caution. I made it to within a couple of hundred meters when the area became deserted and it was all flat ground to the castle. The rock walls were two stories high. Planet Bechtel had carnivorous creatures that didn't give a shit whether it was rude to eat you or not. Personally, I planned on sleeping on a chronix up in space unless I had to stay down here for some reason. Sleeping in space really reduces issues with being surprised while sleeping. I pulled my coat back to allow me access to both pistols. I made it ten steps before I spotted the two snipers taking position over the right and left sides of the front wall in the shadows. I double-checked the drones before continuing my walk. I did allow them an opportunity to not target me. They failed. I ramped my speed up to high vampiric using the etheric connection and pulled my pistols. I shot at the walls in front of both snipers. The gravitic railgun technology that Gene Dukes built into the latest versions used railgun technology to push rods out, but also used gravitic micropucks to help control the kick these little bitches have. It allowed the pistols to push a much heavier round at a higher velocity without making the recoil too much for even my enhanced body to handle. If the rock had been sandstone, both of those snipers would have been killed. Fortunately, it was a local equivalent of granite, and the explosions and shrapnel probably made those two wet their pants. If they targeted me again, I'd shoot to kill. I continued watching. The drone above showed the left was bringing his rifle back on target, namely me. I waited until I could see his helmet, and I snapped a shot through it. I could see him fall off the walkway to the courtyard below on the drone video. The one on the right refused to show itself. Making sure nothing else looked like it was going to surprise me, I continued towards the building. Barney was the local badass. Well, he was the representative of the local badass. Barney's boss was in the city, about a 100 galactic stands to the northwest. About an hour's flight in a jet aircraft. He was running gambling and a few other criminal efforts. I wasn't here for those sins. A ranger doesn't walk in and start arresting everyone. We couldn't possibly do it, nor did we always care. No, a ranger is here to deal with major issues. The nice part is that we choose what's major, like with Barney. While I personally would think his mottled purple skin should be an issue, I'm not really allowed to choose to badger someone strictly based on looks. I'm human, therefore I do understand how I might be predisposed to not liking how something looks. But I could be annoyed with other endeavors Barney might be involved in, especially the rumor that Barney was working in the slave trade, Once a planet comes under the queen bitch's jurisdiction, she will stop slavery. She's been known to start at the top and work her way down until the point is made. Slavery will not be permitted. Period. Fucking. Dot. On one planet, it actually took six levels of leadership before those in power understood she would condemn everyone until there was nothing left but slaves alive, and then they would be free anyway. Here, rumor had it, Barney was grabbing off-worlders who had come into town and weren't with a group. Someone off a ship that failed to go back in time, or worse, was drugged to miss their ship. Usually, the females of species were the targets. The money is better for a female slave. Oh, That stuff pisses me off. As a female of my species, I'd rather not have that kind of attention thrown at me. So I found myself a minute later looking up at an 11-foot door. I sure hoped Barney was trying to compensate. I knocked on the door. It was made out of the local equivalent of ironwood. The only thing I accomplished was scraping my knuckles. Local carnivores had been known to figure out how to push open doors and occasionally break them down to go in for their food. Apparently, crunchy on the outside with screaming nougat centers is what these nighttime killers like. However, this hard-ass door wasn't helping me at the moment. I figure they knew I was here. I could see from my eyes in the sky no one had come out of the main house to cross the courtyard. The guy I had shot was lying on his back on the ground. The other guy was peeking over the parapet with his rifle. I would have thought with his partner dying, he might have gotten the memo. Well, unfortunately, I don't give others many chances to get it right when it comes to my life. I unholstered my right pistol and dialed the slug-throwing power down to three. Watching the sniper from my little drone, I waited until he had pulled his rifle from his eye to lean over further. I ducked out from under the door overhang and shot him between the eyes. His rifle dropped, but his body stayed up on the wall, half on each side, hanging there like a pair of shoes over a power line. Barney, I'm going to give you to the count of ten to be out here, opening your door for me, or it's going to suck for you big time. I screamed this in English, the intergalactic equivalent of a forgotten language. One, two, ten, I yelled before I reached inside my coat for a small sticker. It was square with a red circle and a button on it. I peeled off the circle and placed it in the middle of the door. Achronyx, send down a one-pound puck set at level three to hit the target I'm activating now. I pushed the button and made sure that no one was looking to sneak up on me. I made it around the corner before the one-pound puck slammed into the front gate. Damn, I felt the vibrations from over here. Someone was going to need a new entrance. I looked around the corner, and sure enough, the front door area was still full of dust and splinters flying everywhere. I assumed everyone had their guns trained in that direction and reached into my duster for my hand spikes. Over the many decades I've been playing amongst the stars. I've requested all sorts of shit from the mad scientists from Team BMW and Gene Dukes. One or the other usually comes through for me. Well, except helping me grow taller. Damned Mother Nature screwed me over on that one. You know how hard it is to impress someone when you're five foot four? Shit! John Grimes comes in at about six and a half, and people shut up. I need to work on my menace. That's my problem. Whatever. I slapped the control that runs through my suit. It helps with both protection and weight. I looked up. Acronics: Reduce weight: eighty percent. I jumped up and slammed my hands into the stone before I shot past the top of the wall. I had to put one up, one down so my legs didn't keep going. Sometimes I forget the basics. I pulled myself up and looked over to see everything as it should be, which is to say deserted between the main building and the outer gate. One of the snipers on the ground, one hanging ass up over on the wall at the other corner. I noticed a window open and a big ass barrel getting stuck through, followed by a shield attached to the barrel. A thermal bloom protector. Damned, to damned Damn, this is a bit of a harsh welcome and completely uncalled for. Achronyx, target the window with the crew-served laser sticking out. Make this a one-pound puck as well, 35% power. See if you're good enough to slam between the thermal bloom protector and the window. Tabitha, you know this will kill anyone in the room unless they are in personal armor, correct? I hate when EIs lecture me on shit I knew before they were created. Yes, Half of my attacks are calculated to cause the results you always warn me about. That is because half of your efforts have spectacularly unique results. Smartass. Even when he's proper, I know he's laughing in his cybernetic mind. Just do it. Incoming. A moment later, I got a duck command, and I dropped beneath the top of the wall. I heard the first slam, then felt the concussive boom, and smirked right up until the point when I forgot the concussive boom might affect me. My spikes lost their grip in the rock and I was falling. Achronyx! That was how much I got out before my 18 pounds hit the ground. I rolled with the landing and was up in a second. But it's damned embarrassing, frankly. Yes, I swear to God, that damned computer knew what was going to happen and just failed to warn me. Chronics, how about the next time something like this comes up, make sure to actually warn me about the shit I might not be thinking about. Let's see. Oh, for example, like fucking falling from 20 feet in the air, you asshole. Tabitha, there is a substantial hole in the building. Three micro drones have gone in, and there are no combatants in the top level at this time. Did you hear my command? Yes. Fine. Remember what I said? Now put my weight back to normal for this shithole. After pulling my pistols, I walked back to the front and went through the damaged front gate and then to the massive hole in the building. I saw what remained of the laser barrel laying off to one side, smoking. The rocks and debris from the hole were strewn all over the courtyard. More rocks and debris, including body parts, cluttered the room I poked my head in. Damn, that was a mess, The wooden walls had blood and unwanted meat byproducts everywhere. I stepped through the wall, over a couple of large chunks of rocks and other stuff. (sighs) I wrinkled my nose. It isn't like this stuff is new, and thank God I don't throw up, but it isn't ever pleasant. I put my left pistol back in its holster and walked down a hallway. The drones ahead swept right around a corner. Then I had no feedback they stopped working. Damn it. I yanked my pistol back out and dialed up the power. I kept the right pistol about as powerful as a forty-five back on earth. I aimed the left one at the end of the hallway, then moved it a little right. Jacking up the gravitic offset, I let loose a barrage of shots, each one inching right. The wood and other building materials used in this building wasn't going to stop these rounds. I fired about 30. I did all of this shooting in the space of five seconds. <laughs> you have to love Gene Duke's railguns. I kept the left pistol, holstered my right, and reached in the duster to pull out two one-inch round eye drones and tossed them into the air. They quickly went down and to the right to see what was in the hallway. Ouch, three dead, one wounded in the leg and stomach, still aiming a gun at me, and then a large door at the end of the hall behind them. I pulled my right gun and sent the command to impose a dot on the picture as I aimed. When I had my dot on his head, I switched the power up to 70% and kicked in the gravitic support. I fired once, and the round slammed into his mouth and out the back of his head. None left alive. I sent the drones through the other way to make sure nothing was waiting for me when I turned the corner. I was good. I walked down and did a quick peek before turning. Damn. What a mess! Tabitha, there is a vehicular heat signature that is rapidly leaving to the southwest from your location. That fucker left! I screamed and started running past those on the ground who had given up their lives for that shithead. I gave the commands for the drones to check the door. Nothing on it, and I opened it an inch and a half to let them go in. It was this building's version of a garage. There were a handful of hover bikes and a space where a small two-person jet car would have been. Achronix, I'm going to open the small microbots. I want you to command them to check out this place now. I don't have anyone alive to question so far. And I didn't have anyone to question. It seemed the place either didn't need them or they were gone. It took another hour before the little microbots found a hidden door in a wall for me to jerk around until a quarter hour later I found the mechanism to open it. Although tempted to blow it, I could have killed anyone inside. The door would have blasted into two cages that were ten feet back. I pulled out my badge and let it hang on my duster to make sure those inside who knew it would no help arrived. I opened the door and the smell of unwashed bodies and horrible sanitation hit my nose. My eyes started watering. Achronix, call Billet and see if you will allow me to hire his people to help clean these ladies up. I count five different species, including one human. I need three rooms for them and food, water, and robes brought here. I'll get Frank to let me know if we have a mercenary company trustworthy enough to help out here. Then call Hiratoshi and let him know I want Ryu and half the Tontos to get off their lazy asses and find a fast packet ride over here. I looked around the room and considered my next steps. Let Hiratoshi know I've found a playground and a base of operations. The previous owner can kiss my ass. He isn't getting it back. Understood. Billet is willing to support you, but wants assurances that B. Arunthani is dead. Send him pictures of the front gate, the front room from outside and inside, the hallway with the dead, and now this one with the slaves. Next, tell him not to make me enforce laws about offering support. If he wants to argue, tell him I'll do the same to his home when I come knocking. I'm not in the mood. He can pee down his leg telling Barney I forced him to deal with me and what a bitch I am. I confirmed no one but the slaves and I were alive in the building and holstered my weapons and started walking into the room with the kidnapped, those that could see me staring at me and my badge. I looked around and said to no one in particular, not like the slaving bastard is going to live long enough to bitch about me anyway. It looked like I would have plenty to do on my vacation. Finny.
0: All right, so you've, you've just listened to chapter two and the last chapter of Tabitha's Vacation, a short story written by Michael Anderley and narrated by the wonderful Emily Barrisford. Emily, do you even remember recording this?
1: I do actually, and I just uh, listened to a few minutes of it <laughs> before we <laughs> before you called me to kind of remind myself. But I do remember it absolutely.
0: Okay, and and we we actually started this process of of coming up with the idea for the podcast. This was the first thing that was recorded that was going to be specific for the Ear Crush podcast. And we've been sitting on this for like way too long because we're behind on everything because we're publishing so many books and so many audiobooks. Um, One question that I have is a longtime listener of audiobooks and someone who just loves them. How do you keep track of all the voices? Michael writes a lot of characters in his books, and you've done. 18 so far, maybe 19 yes. by the time this comes out. How do you keep track of them? And how many are there?
1: Oh, there there are I I haven't counted in a while, but there's well over 400. Oh my gosh. Um so far, so I have I have an external file that I keep open while I'm recording, and I will each time a character comes up, not the ones that I know really well that are constantly recurring, I have them solidified in my mind, but I do a voice search and I match up the voices because I'm very, I'm so anal about it. I just, I don't want somebody to think a character is not consistent. So that's something that is one of the reasons why I'm so slow coming out with the books, <laughs> but it's so important to me. It's very important to match match the character voices. So I have probably four different files within those files when a character gets killed off, or maybe they aren't going to be coming back. So I try to keep my main file smaller but it's still really huge.
0: And when you say file you're talking about a digital file a digital audio file.
1: Yes, I have wave samples, little wave clips of the voices inside of a yes, a digital file. I don't have a paper file I'm,
0: I'm <laughs> Yeah, you're pulling it out. oh, yeah. she's 5 foot 9. Yeah.
1: Yes, <laughs> no, I don't a have a tattoo.
0: That. Yep. <laughs> for people who are coming and hearing your voice for the first time here, we've got We've got 18 of these books out of 21 in the Cretarian Gambit series. You mentioned that you occasionally catch flack for the speed with which these books come out because people want people who are listening want the next one yes. right after they finish the one that they've finished. And so, so let's kind of talk through the process of recording one of these books for you and the time involved.
1: Sure. Um, well, when I get the script <clears> – <throat> excuse me. When I get the script from you, I read through it once, uh, identify characters, and if there's new characters, I look up – what's been helpful for me are the artist sketches that you guys started doing oh, of the great. alien I races. Oh, I those, and I
0: don't know whether they're useful for you or at all. Like, oh, they're
1: huge. Oh, cool. Because then I- – well, that helps me uh, visualize more, even more than just from the words, visualize a character voice and what the race might sound like. So I spend a lot of time daydreaming while I'm prepping of for the different characters to come up with the voices. And hopefully they match, you know, a little bit of what, what the readers picture when they're reading. And then I read through the book again and make all my notes to try to make recording you know a little more fluid. Now so do not, I
0: see those notes is that what I see that you no. sent me back no that's a different that's a different file. Oh
1: no. Okay. I sent you a, a way cleaner. <laughs> it's way cleaner. I I have red marks all through pauses that I want to make, um different ways I want my voice to sound and different feelings I should be feeling uh in the margins. So
0: and what, my what margins are What we're oh, talking about or what what I was talking about is that Emily sends me a, a version of her notes because no book is perfect, and the person who's narrating it is going to see things that no one else sees. So if she see, sees things like that, she sends me a version of the book with notes in it that that contain those. And I, I forget what program we use to do that, but it's pretty slick.
1: It's I annotate, and yeah, because literally I put every single sentence under a microscope, so I have that that benefit of having to speak it aloud each sentence. So I I noticed little tiny things that would probably slip through, Um, so that's helpful.
0: Okay, and you do you remember how this all came to be? I know Michael. I was not involved when when all this started, and Michael connected with you. No, when when he first connected with you, I was not involved yet. So how did that? How did he pitch this?
1: Well, he actually put a he advertised for it on Mm ACX.com and you could send in an audition. And I hadn't auditioned for anything for a long time because I'd been really busy with other publishers, but I couldn't pass up auditioning for this series. It just, it sounded like my dream series of this strong female snarky (laughs) lead character. You know, I, I just, she was everything that I've wanted to play and that it was such a a large series was awesome because then I could really dive in and get to know intimately all the characters. And so I sent in an audition and then I heard back from him and we chatted back and forth for a while. Then it all came to fruition. It was amazing. I'm still flabbergasted (laughs) that that I'm the one that was chosen. I'm so excited. You are
0: the voice of Bethany Ann. Oh, it's just a dream. <laughs> and we met in New York a few weeks ago at the Audio Publishers Association Conference uh, APAC, and Michael was there. There were a group of us there, and you told me this is the first time you've ever met one of your authors. Yes. I find and that it, astonishing.
1: And in over seven years, I've only spoken to two on the phone, and Michael was one of them. So um, it was it was incredible to be able to meet you guys face-to-face, and it was you guys are really awesome. Anybody listening right now, uh, Stephen and Michael are, are wonderful, wonderful guys.
0: And I, I can't even begin to tell. I don't want this to become a mutual admiration society, yeah, yeah, but right. I can't <laughs> even begin to tell you how cool Emily is. I mean, when she she was she was nominated for an award at the Oddies, which is like the Academy Awards for audio narrators unfortunately she didn't win probably a mistake there oh, yeah right <laughs> but i mean you were all dressed up you were i mean you were like emily chic and you wore light up shoes <laughs> i did <laughs> <laughs> which and was pants totally when awesome. there was a
1: sea of gowns which that's okay but that's me you know i'm finally embracing uh who i am and how i'm comfortable and that was how it was and i love I love wild shoes. I really do. Not fancy shoes, but wild sneakers, I guess I'll yes. say. Yes, Nothing with a heel. You will never find me in anything with a heel.
0: And one so. other thing th- that was very telling about you as a person, and we're trying to get to know the narrators through going through this process. One of the that to me was very telling about you as a person was, you know, you just met everybody for the first time and we're all gathered around a table and all of a sudden you're like, I've got to go because <laughs> my, is, was it your son or? Yes, my son. Your son was graduating from preschool and it was being live streamed?
1: Yes. My other, my, one of my brothers actually went because I was so crushed. I had to miss it. And I caught so much flack from Michael Anderlea (laughs) for, for watching a preschool graduation. But it was very important to me. And you guys were very gracious to let me skip out and have my big headphones on over oh, to the side. That was that so. was just
0: absolutely awesome that oh. that happened and that you were able to see it. It was such a delight it to meet awesome. you. And it's such, it's such a treat to have you as the first narrator of the first story on the Ear Crush podcast. And I know we're going to hear more from you.
1: Oh, this is so exciting. Thank you so much, Steve.
0: It's now, I've thing. got one last question before we sign off, oh and that yeah. is we're recording a few of these episodes ahead of time because that's what you do with podcasts, and then you release like two or three at once because it helps with the rankings and things like that. We don't have an intro yet, so if I ask you to record the intro for the show, would you do it?
1: You know I will. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> awesome. If you, awesome. If you tell me
1: what to say, it'll be great. <laughs> that's the
0: deal, right? You get the yes. words and you say them. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. It would be my pleasure.
0: Emily Beresford, thank you so much for being here. Where can people learn more about you?
1: Well, I'm on Facebook, Emily Beresford Narrator, and we like to geek out about the Cartherian Gambit series, and it's a lot of fun. Hey, and and if you
0: listen to the Cartherian Gambit series, go in and ask her when the the next book is coming out, because Uh, she loves that.
1: Constantly. Please (laughs) ask me. I actually do, because it keeps me honest and and working hard. And also, emilyberesford.com, and that's my website.
0: So. All right. Thank you so much for being here. It, it's been a delight, and I can't wait to see you again in Las Vegas at the 20 Books Conference.
1: Me as well. Thanks, Steve.
0: And thank you, Emily. Emily and I are actually going to be on a panel together at the 20 Books Conference in Las Vegas. So if you're going to be there, uh, please look us up. We'd, uh, we'd love to meet you. Before we close today, uh, we've got some cool things coming up this week with LMBPN Publishing. We have two new series that are launching next week. The first is coming on Monday. Title of the first book in the series is You Have Been Judged, a space opera adventure slash legal thriller in the new Judge, Jury, and Executioner series from Craig Martell. Think Boston Legal meets Judge Dredd in what some readers are calling an action-packed and can't-put-down series. It's a little bit from the blurb. Meet Rivka Anoa, the Queen's barrister, a lawyer with a gift. She's five-foot-nothing with a ten-foot attitude. Rivka loves the law, but sometimes the system doesn't move quickly enough. You'll love following Rivka's adventures. No joke is misplaced, no alien too tall— and no one is above the law. You have been judged. I know a lot of you are familiar with Craig's work, but you may not know that Craig was a lawyer in a past life. Not that we hold that against him. We just enjoy his writing. And I, I think you're really going to enjoy this new series. The second new series that's coming this week is from saranofsky and Michael Anderley. Uh, the first book in the series is Corruption, and the series name is The Precious Galaxy Series little bit from the blurb after an explosion the crew of a battle cruiser mysteriously disappears lewis and bailey complete strangers find themselves suddenly on board the damaged ship lewis hasn't worked a case in years not since the last one broke his spirit and his bank account and the last thing bailey remembers is preparing to take down a fugitive on the onyx station the two don't know how they got on board the ship or why However, they quickly learned that whatever was responsible for the explosion and the disappearance of the crew is still on the ship. So both those are coming next week from LMBPN. Be on the lookout for those. Those will be ebooks first, then print, then eventually audio. The audio books take a little bit longer to, uh, to get through. We do have three audio books that we've released so far this month. The first is Might Makes Right book 18 in the Cartharian Gambit series, narrated by Emily Beresford. And we've also done, we've also released the first two books in the wildly popular Unbelievable Mr. Brownstone series. Book one is Feared by Hell, and it was released on June 12th. The second book, Rejected by Heaven, was released just a couple of days ago. If you're an audiobook listener, please check these out. And finally, if you enjoy the show, will you please rate and review the podcast on whatever podcast you use to listen to this episode? We'd appreciate it, and your ratings can help others who love listening to great stories find the show as well. We will be back again next Friday with the next episode of Ear Crush, and our guest co-host will be Craig Martell.